Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. David Wilson joins us today from Washington, D.C. David is the Chief Innovation Officer and Principal Vice President at the Bechtel Corporation, a privately held 122-year-old global engineering procurement and construction company that is currently listed as the largest contractor within the well-known ENR 400 rankings. David has been with Bechtel for over 20 years, straight out of college, working various roles as an engineer, Six Sigma Master Black Belt, project manager, and now as the facilitator and champion of innovation for the enterprise. His role has facilitated key external partnerships with both large and small firms alike, ranging from the traditional tech firms like Oracle, Autodesk, and Hexagon to the emerging construction tech firms like Cumulus, Cover, and SmartVid.io. David, uh, infrastructure innovation is definitely the topic of the day right now, and you are as close to the center of that discussion as you can get. So really excited about this chat, and uh, thanks for making some time. Yeah, thanks, Ty, for having me. Been a longtime listener of the podcast and love learning from others. And so hopefully we can have a good discussion and it uh, adds value to others as well. Awesome. Well, we, we always like to start with a trip down memory lane, if you will. Uh, give us that color commentary on your path to becoming the chief innovation officer at Bechtel. Yeah, thanks, Ty. So I'd say it was less scripted and more opportunistic. So I started out as an, an engineer, mechanical engineering, control systems engineering in the field for projects. Uh, transition from from those roles into more process improvement, a broader perspective on you know, how things come together. So went from mechanical systems and objects to control systems and how objects interrelate to Six Sigma, to how process systems interrelate and can drive execution. And then got into operational roles, you know, heading up projects that did uh, distributed execution of physical projects. So really got more into the, you know, how do you design, buy, build projects that have multiple work fronts and then from there, transitioned into uh, initially a VPD role or virtual project delivery, also also a BIM or, or a virtual design and construction role, where we were taking how do we execute now, how do we execute differently with fully integrated digital aspects of design by build, and from there transitioned into the innovation role when Bechtel launched our Future Fund in 2016, and have been a part of that the Bechtel Innovate Group since 2016. Uh, initially as a deputy chief innovation officer and then as the chief innovation officer for the last four years. And that's really been, I tell folks, really it's more the chief facilitator of innovation, like you mentioned in the in the description, because you know, my job is not to come up with the ideas. My job is to create the uh, the infrastructure or the resources and and help those in our in our organization innovate, create, discover, and then deploy for our projects. Well. Awesome background. And and so speaking of Bechtel, for maybe those not as familiar, um, give us a little bit about the breadth of Bechtel generally, and then let's let's bring it back to your role and focus on the varying ways in which your innovation agenda advances both projects internally and also with those external innovation uh, players that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, happy to. So as you mentioned, Bechtel is 122 years old. It's a private company. Uh, we have our, our fifth generation CEO, uh, Brendan Bechtel, who's leading the organization. Uh, and, and that part of that, why, why that's important is, is a private company. We can take a long view 
uh, as well as a very focused view. And so that allows us to do some things that others can't when, when you're in the public domain and you have to report on quarterly earnings and the like. And so that that largely is why we have an innovation program, because uh, the partnership and the organization took a long view of how do we invest in discovery? How do we invest in preparing for the future of how we execute? How do we how do we invest in, in our people so that we're ready as the changing means and methods uh, accelerate? And so that's, that's a bit of why I think uh, the, the length of time the company has been around, the size of the company, and you mentioned size. So we do have four uh, different global business units. We have one that focuses on oil, gas, and chemicals, uh, one that focuses on nuclear um, security and, and environmental, uh, more of our government works. So, so lab work, cleanup work, we're doing some of the, we're actually doing the only new nuclear uh, build work out of that, out of that GBU right now uh, in the country. We uh, have an infrastructure business that includes everything from communications to rail to roads to uh, to combined cycle power. And then we have a mining and metals business unit. And so uh, geographically, we're all over the world and we're in uh, four, those four major verticals that include everything, again, from defense and space to roads, airports, rail, uh, oil and gas, uh, LNG and, and the like. And so pretty broad footprint from a industrial sector perspective and a in a just a territorial perspective uh, we have anywhere between 25 and 35,000 people across the the organization and, and typically do uh, 20 25 30 30 billion in work each year so very large organization and that brings with it challenges as you try to drive innovation scaling across the organization but it also is a, a, an attribute or an asset because there are so many people with different perspectives from the work face that you can reach out and engage to come up with better solutions, disrupt the existing solutions and draw from their insight and their talent. And so we do see a lot of innovation that actually happens on our projects and at the work fronts in ways that they can improve, whether it's a different material, a new material, or it's a new process, or it's the use of digital technologies or um, digital hardware that allows them to do their jobs more effectively. And so we're really trying to tap into that bring it back into the organization and then scale it out more widely for others to use and benefit from as well. Awesome. And we'll talk about a few of those um, themes uh, throughout the podcast today, but just an amazing platform to to drive innovation forward. And so, as I mentioned earlier, as we kick off the questions around, I don't think anyone in this ecosystem, you know, there hasn't been a day passed in 2021 without the word infrastructure hitting s- some form of press. So f- fingers crossed, infrastructure looks to be a key topic throughout 2021. And and clearly Bechtel, again, is as close as anyone to that discussion with its global footprint. So a couple of initial questions to set us up. One, just what's your outlook on all of this infrastructure discussion at a macro level? And then two, let's let's bring that thread back to an innovation outlook where we really do focus this podcast. What role do new technologies and all of that associated data have to play on job sites in supporting this renewed focus? And as one example you and I talked about previously, Bechtel participated in a prior Forbes article titled Less Dirt, More Data. And so it'd be great to tease out the meaning behind of that aligned to this uh, innovation discussion as well. Yeah, so the, the broadly, we, you know, we've heard about, I'm sure folks listening have heard, you know, infrastructure has been a topic for you know, multiple years, you know, the need for infrastructure investment, you know, you know clearly in, in the United States, as I'm sure in other other parts of the world as well, to to adapt to your know, growing populations and, um, you know, growing economies and growing needs of 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 people and 
populations to tap into into further economic growth. So infrastructure is so critical to further economic growth uh, that the investment has to get made. And I think what we're seeing is that there clearly is the demand, there's clearly the opportunity. A lot of times it comes down to how can that work be financed? You know, is it through public-private partnerships? Is it through, um, you know, through through taxes? I mean, there's a number of different varieties of ways that that can get funded, but it generally is the is the hard part is the financing and the development of the infrastructure projects because there's not just like I said, there's not a lack of a lack of need or opportunity. It's the it's the development of those opportunities. I think where technology and innovation can help address that is if you if you do a quick search, you can look at industrial project overruns, cost growth, uh, both cost and schedule growth. You know, there's there's no shortage of projects across the industry that have you know, cost more and taken longer than expected for customers. And so when you're in the public space, that has very clear implications because you're talking about using you know, taxpayer money to fund the projects. And so that growth has a, a very uh, real impact. And so I think when we look at technology and innovation, the greater certainty that it can drive, the better productivity that it can drive, you know, the more work can happen for the same amount of money at a higher, at a more predictable rate which will give, again, give the, the public more confidence that those investments make sense and that they can do as much as they plan to do with the money they have available. And so I think, I think you, you want to attack the, the predictability of the execution through the use of new technology, you know, new innovation, new materials that will allow us to you know, execute more projects with the same number, number of people and grow the infrastructure, improve the infrastructure to release even more um, GDP, if you will. Absolutely. And and I think that less dirt, more data mantra tied into the, the theme of how innovation can uh, move that agenda forward. It, it kind of ties in nicely to the, the next question with that set up. I, I think there's universal agreement in our ecosystem that a massive opportunity lies ahead for innovating specifically within this built world ecosystem. And so maybe in true crystal ball fashion, which is a fun part of the podcast sometimes, audience loves to hear latest tech trends that you see gaining early adoption, and then maybe also some that are promising technology solutions, but really aren't commercially viable yet. So I, I like to simplify the question down to, in your future outlook, what's hot and what's hype? Yeah, I, I think there's, it's a, it's a really interesting question. And, you know, you, you, if you'd asked it, you know, 12 months ago, pre, pre-COVID, I might've given you a different answer. And then, then, I, then I give you today, you know, the, the point you made about more, more data, you know, less dirt uh, kind of leads to that because, you know, and we were talking about this in 2016, the need to get the, the digital aspect integrated for a construction job site from, you know, from the work face all the way back into design is critical to get efficiencies and get, get predictability. And so you know, I think that's still a fundamental foundational aspect that has to happen. We've seen because of COVID in this last year, you know, an accelerated adoption of digital tools and digital platforms and an appreciation for you know, digital unleashes I work from anywhere. And it, you know, you you have a limited population that has to work from a set location, which would be the work face. So it's the you know the men and women that are are adding value at the work face by transforming the work face. They have to be there. But what about all of the other support and all the logistics that go with it? Those don't have to be there. So can you get material? Can you get equipment? Can you get information to the men and women at the work face using that digital foundation that allow them to then execute the work, spend more time on tools, uh, more productive time at the work face. 
that's going to unleash an incredible amount of, of benefit and, and eliminate a lot of the constraints, which are logistical constraints of making sure that you have what you need when you need it to do the work. And if you can attack that through digital tools, um, you, uh, you unleash a, a ton of value. So all that's to say, you know, tools that give you uh, better insight about where things are at and how do you deliver those things. So sensors that give you a better insight into your equipment utilization, true utilization, not runtime, uh, you know, sensors that let you know where uh, where material is, where tools are, how what's the tool usage, you know, even where even where the work face could be based on tools, material and equipment. And then even um, how do you get data and information predictively to the work face? And so there's a mix of the sensors that bridge the digital and the physical, as well as customizing the digital to be uh, more valuable to the men and women doing work at the work face. So it's not large drawings, it's more scripted instructions that are more consistent with you know IKEA and Lego that you, you only get what you need when you need it to do what you're going to do as opposed to here's a massive drawing and you need to you need to have your you know, your pocket uh, magnifier to be able to see what the instructions are you know, that's pretty archaic so getting away from all the things we had to fit on a piece of paper to get it portable into how do we give the exact right instruction to do the work at the right time and then if you don't have it how do you trigger that from the work face back to somebody that can give you remote assistance. And so, you know, whether that's that's glassware, which I think the glassware is still a bit of hype, but certainly with FaceTime and smart devices and computers, you can do a lot with having a central or a distributed virtual war room that can provide support to your craft, the work face to resolve issues, get answers quickly without having to send somebody out there. So even on a big job site, actually even on a small job site, if you're the if you're the craft doing work and you have to a question you have to get resolved, you probably don't have your field engineer or your resident engineer or engineering close by at hand to answer that question on demand. And so you're gonna have to wait. And it's typically a crew of you know one to two to three to four people. They're now waiting on one person. And if you can resolve that so you get instantaneous feedback from a remote expert via a FaceTime or a call, um, that now puts that crew right back to work as opposed to, uh, as opposed to have losing you know, 30 minutes of, of four people's time. So I think the remote assistance and expertise solutions are really gaining traction because of this year. You know, the digital foundation layer is is getting wider adoption. And so I think those are very real and critical sensors uh, the same. I think hype might still be glassware or, or glasses for augmented reality. I think that's still a little bit uh, premature, not really sorted, hasn't sorted itself out uh, entirely. And then a lot of advancement in robotics, but I think that it's still a little ways away from um, seeing broad adoption of robotics. So I think that's an interesting one that's worth further development. But you know, we got we have a lot of things we have to do before robotics will work as effectively in the field as they do in a manufacturing environment. And you can just see that in the manufacturing is very clean, very orderly, very regimented, very systematic, uh, very repetitive. Job sites are not. So until we transform job sites to be more predictable and um, and um, more able to navigate from a robot perspective and do things uh, in a repetitive fashion. I think we'll see see that lagging a little bit too. So hopefully that answered the question. So um, digital uh, remote assistance, I think are real and, and very helpful sensors. And hype, I think AR glasses are still a little bit on the hype factor. And then uh, robotics are are going to come around, but I think it's still a little early. 
Yeah, I think you're spot on with robotics. I was talking with, with Vivian from Hilti about, the hey, it's an unstructured environment. Um, I've invested in some of these robotic intelligent perception systems. And even if lighting's off within a manufacturing or warehouse facility, right, it, it adds a million times complexity. Now throw them out into the wilderness in an unstructured environment. It's it's very challenging. So agree, lots of promise there, but we've, we've got some things to tackle. But more broadly, couldn't agree with you more. A lot of those trends were things that people have been investing in over the last two to three years. I, again, referenced the venture community, but I use the industrial analogy. It's like 2020 really broke loose that rusty lug nut that you got to put a lot of torque on, but when it goes, it goes. And uh, every piece of feedback I'm hearing to the, the trends you mentioned, 2020 was one of those years you could not not use those technologies to advance the way you were operating because of the dynamics at play. So I think we're we're only going to see an acceleration of that pace, uh, very much aligned with you. And, and maybe then within those trends, our, our listener base has founders that span both early and growth stage technology businesses that are aligned to some of those opportunities. You've clearly successfully partnered with both the large and small tech innovators, as we mentioned earlier. How does your organization like to engage those external innovators who may align with um, your efforts and needs so it's taken some learning, right? As I think that any large organization has to assess, you know, how how adaptable or how quickly can you respond to the needs of a startup? Because you know, large organizations are are, are kind of meant to operationalize and scale, and so we don't always adapt as quickly to to the pace of of, of a startup. And so, you know, understanding the a couple of things that we've learned as we've gone through is. You're really understanding the startup's situation, um, right-sizing expectations, uh, making sure we clearly communicate about how long it takes for things to navigate our some of our internal systems, and making sure we're very transparent about the reality of the situation, so we don't we don't artificially set the expectations. And I think on a previous podcast, and others have heard it, you know, death by POC is very real. I don't want to do that to to startups because that's not fair to them. It's not good for us from a reputational perspective, and so. You know, understanding where the startup is at, understanding what their needs are, are, what are they looking for, and helping right size, you know, what we're really able to do and when we're able to do it and what we're looking for. And and then maybe it's not the right fit initially when we have the conversation, but when they're ready, you know, coming back and, and talking about pilots, because we really like to go through the pilot stage for us, not, not a proof of concept, if you will. We try to generally do a, a, a light, very light prototype proof of concept but that's more for us to understand what it's going to take to integrate or deploy, but then working through, let's do a pilot and generally it's funded. Let's do a pilot to see how this works in the field. And if you're not ready for that, that's fine. Uh, we try to sort that out in the prototype phase. So we don't, we don't set the wrong expectations for our projects. We're trying to manage profit and loss, but we can go to a project and say, we've gone through the initial evaluation. We think this is going to work. Let's go run this solution in parallel in the field to get some feedback about how does it work? How does it integrate? Does it do what we think it does? And give it some some proof points to then bring that back to the organization for scaling conversation. So I think just having that real dialogue with the startups early, and we didn't do that. We have not always done that well. So um, we're, we're working through and, and learning better about how to do that and how to how to communicate. Uh, and then, you know, early conversations about uh, the, the reality is always critical, I think. Uh, large technology companies, it's easier because I think that not not it's easier from the perspective that we we both understand the limitations and organizational nuances that have to be navigated where the, you know, the starts want to go fast, can go fast, which is good. Um, and so, you know, balancing that out, I think is pretty important. 
I will I will also say, and it kind of goes to the earlier conversation, uh, we've seen this repeatedly that in most instances, you know, if you look at the hype cycle, you have to have seen and heard and be you have to have talked about something for about five to seven years before you get to ubiquitous or or standardization. And so um, that seems to be a very natural cycle in that if we're talking about it now and it's the first time we're talking about it, it's probably going to go through that lull and that pit of despair, if you will, before it reaches you know broad adoption. And and I think setting that expectation internally, both for large organizations and small organizations, that you know, implementation, standardization, scaling doesn't happen immediately. It does take a, quite a quite a while to get to where something is is widely adopted. And at that point, it's no longer it no longer feels like innovation because we've been talking about it for five to seven years, but it still has a, a has a chance to impact execution pretty significantly. It's really impressive. You know, it took I know you you mentioned it took a while to get to this point, but now the structure that you have and the process to engage with some of these early stage companies, because like you said, without expectation setting, without a clear no, if it is a no, it's less painful than dragging it out. And so I think even on your website, you you guys have a clear mantra, learn safe, learn fast and and learn forward with an actual six step process of how you go about testing innovations. Well, I, I think a huge component of that too is is, is the show aspect. And that's why you know, we've got welding and applied technology center. There are other physical labs out there. So generally, if we get past uh, the call it the desktop, the, the, social, the socialization pitch, we want to bring you out and have you actually show us how this might work in the field at our welding facility or our, at our back to equipment operations facility and really get into the let's get dirty and let's figure out how this is going to work. And if it clears that evaluation, we're ready to go and look at finding the right project to take that next step. And having that 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 show or that physical component has been critical to provide learning back to the the startup or the the emerging technology firm, as well as to ourselves to help us help them actually get into the field more quickly. Definitely win-win, no doubt. So maybe the next question, less about tech trends, more about markets. And the discussion of markets to me is critical because I I feel investing in innovation in these legacy industries, if we call them what we will, uh, it really amplifies the phrase too early can be the same as wrong, even if the solution makes a lot of sense from a technology perspective. In these markets, you really do have to meet the customer where their needs are today, because honestly, that's where oftentimes the associated budget is going to come from. So Bechtel covers a lot of industrial market verticals with a range of project job site profiles. So this question is, are there any market verticals being more aggressive to press the innovation agenda than others? And then more generally, what are the major challenges, as you referenced earlier, that are unique to some of these industrial verticals when it comes to rapidly experimenting and deploying new technologies? Yeah, so I, I do I think that so that there are, you know, we we see this that the the more regulated risk averse industries or sectors are are less likely to adopt or lean into new solutions. They're they're kind of the laggards for us to adopt. So even even in our organization, you know, I, I know that we can generally start with a renewables project or a or a even depending on the customer, there's certain customers that are more progressive or advanced. So there are jobs that you just know you can go talk to the customer or even verticals like I said, renewables, communications, those types of work of distributed work that you can go get things adopted and deployed more quickly because of the nature of the work. Whereas uh, you just use a nuclear project as an example, very regulated, 
Uh, you know, you can't have, you know, we, we talk about learn safe, learn fast, learn forward. Very, that's very intentional because fail safe, fail fast doesn't work in a lot of our industries and sectors. And so absolutely you know, trying to guide it so that it's successful, so you can learn, you can increment is critical. So we do see it. So I think the more regulated, uh, the more oversight that might be uh, might be applied to the sector, you're going to see, you know, less like you're going to see you know, less. But it, it's not as as much it's that they're less likely to adopt. It's just there's going to be a lot more you have to go through to drive adoption. So I generally don't like to start necessarily in those sectors with startups that haven't gone through things that might be like FedRAMP or um, .gov requirements. And so you, know, you look at what what would be requirement to work on a government project. You know, th- there's extra cost, extra time that has to go into the into the startups proof points to get to those those established sectors. And so I like to start in other sectors to to evaluate whether it's going to work, how is it going to work, and then you know encourage them to get some momentum before they they roll in through the 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 more heavily regulated industries. And, and with with that, you you start to say, okay, uh, you know, the other point I think I'd like to make there is. Startups that are looking too far into the future, you know, I have to applaud their effort and their vision about what it's going to look like for their product or solution to be used at some point in the future. But if it requires a, a complete overhaul of the infrastructure, whether that's IT or that's process, that's that's a much harder argument or a much much harder case to be made to do that to an organization to make that size of a bet. But if they can come in with increments and elements that they can monetize on that roadmap, you know, that's a that's a better win. So if I can implement part of the solution of your grand vision and give you um, give you some revenue through licensing or through agreements to, to keep your development going, that's a better win than if you're trying to sell a, a complete you know, platform or a complete solution that requires complete abandonment of what what we might already have uh, in place. Certainly, and you know, to your point, a lot of these uh, job sites or market verticals, they have a higher risk barrier to entry for good reasons. And we we talked about it a lot on this podcast around the idea of blitzscaling has to be a very thoughtful conversation. And and there's pros and cons on both sides of it when you're when you're talking from a venture capital vernacular. But as you just mentioned, oftentimes it's finding that first wedge of value that you can solve a clear pain point. And that doesn't mean you're just automatically put in the point solution bucket. It just means you're answering where the customer's pain point is today. And then as all vertical SaaS opportunities, start to build that layer cake of other opportunities that maybe you're collaborating with that customer to find what the um, the next layer of integration or the next wedge of value may be. But re- really tough to just, like you said, go in and rip and replace all at once. Exactly. That's exactly right. So how do you how do you offer a, a solution to a, a real problem and then scale from there? Build on build on the relationship, as you said. So if we look back on, we've just talked through maybe some trends that are moving forward, um, where there are ways to enter certain articles, uh, certain markets over others to help the adoption curve. Now, once you've maybe hit a trend, you found a good opportunity to deploy it into this market that's a little bit um, more adopting than others. The question goes, with these early stage founders, what gets you excited about them as they approach you potentially for a partnership? And we always like to break it down into keys to success that you've seen as as some have approached you and then also um, key things to avoid uh, as they enter the discussion. 
Yeah, I think the, the folks that have that we've talked to that understand the problem or, or have industry perspective or context is is always good, right? So, you know, somebody that has at least a frame of reference or or even if they don't, so it doesn't mean that they have to, but somebody that's at least open to listening and asking questions to understand the problems to then help adapt, you know, their pitch to address the problems, I think it is a very uh, very strong approach. You know, some some folks that arc in assuming they know and you know maybe they don't that that's a pretty quick turnoff as you'd expect so i think that if you know you know communicate what you know and why you think the solution adds value based on what you know and, and give that context if you don't you know, ask questions you know, learn seek seek to learn and in most most cases most large organizations will help you i know that people in, in ours will you know open to having that dialogue sharing some insight and then seeing how that insight can be you know, turned into a, a, a tailored value prop or a value discussion about how the solution solves a real problem that we have. So I think you know, those are two different two different you know, ways to approach organizations and have a conversation. Things that are really hard, like I said, that really um, stifle the discussion, you know, platform plays that require an all or nothing uh, adoption model. Uh, it's a hard one to it's a hard one to navigate just because of what that means for a big company. Uh, the other one is uh, is when you get into we see this more um, data and and ownership of data. You know, if your solution requires me to give all my data away and you own it, that's that's going to be a hard one to navigate internally. Um, if you own all the data forever, you know, that's going to be a hard one. So those those types of things that you know you're looking for me to help make your product better based on the information data I give you. And you haven't considered or, or thought through what what's the the commercial model look like that would allow that to happen and be uh, favorable for both entities. Um, that's a really hard one to advance as well. So those are a couple of things that that are are, are setbacks if if a startup or emerging technology company is going to approach you know us. And I, I would assume for other large large organizations, then it's always it's always nice to to talk through um, the solution with somebody that understands the problem. No doubt. Um, great tips for for those founders um, looking to approach you guys for sure. So David, always like to wrap up uh, the heavy hitters with what we call quick hitters, a little bit of a rapid fire Q&A. So if you're ready, we'll, we'll dive in. Let's do it. All right. Number one thing you look for when evaluating one of these earlier stage external partnership opportunities. Uh, scalability. So in part or in whole scale, how quickly can we get to scale? How quickly can we get it across the enterprise? Love it. What's one resource, book, podcast, blog, whatever you recommend our audience to follow in this ecosystem? So big fan of of the of the startup way. I encourage my team to read it. It's you know more geared towards the startup community, but I think you know more large organizations need to to read it and uh, and live it, if you will. One person who should be on the podcast. Yeah, I actually think given our conversation talking about physical and, and emerging tech, I think Bertrand from Oracle, who is their VP over in industry innovation would be exceptional. Some of the work he's done with their lab, I think would fit right into the discussion and help bridge the connection between startups and large enterprises. Uh, that is a fantastic recommendation. I spent many years in Chicago and, and if anyone hasn't checked out what, what the lab Birchin opened up up there, um, it's gotta be on your radar. That's a, that's a great one to have on here. And, and finally, David, what's the best way for folks to reach out to you? So Twitter, LinkedIn, both work well, I'm on, I'm on both. So. Uh, Twitter, real underscore DJ Wilson, and then LinkedIn, just uh, David Wilson. You should be able to find me through uh, through LinkedIn if you uh, search Bechtel and David Wilson. 
Great. Well, fun chat. And again, infrastructure is is going to be a topic of the year. So we'll probably have to have you back in, in six months and we can we can look back on, on where our thoughts were now. But uh, just really thanks for the, the insights here um, and appreciation again for what you guys are doing for the early stage ecosystem. We need more of it. So thanks, David. Well, thank you, Ty. Great to great to chat.